Welcome to Churches Planting Churches, a podcast on the theology and practice of church planting. I'm your host, Tony Morita. Ireland has a rich history of faith in the living God. At one time, it was one of the highest church-attending nations worldwide. Sadly, this is no longer the case. Ireland's modern population suffers from spiritual famine. While other world religions like Islam and Romanian Orthodox are on the rise in Dublin, the fastest growing religious worldview is that of the nuns, or those with no religion at all. Contrastly, evangelical Christian denominations steadily decline. Today, there is approximately one church for every 40,000 people living in Dublin. Church planting in this postmodern context is difficult. The financial investment required is high, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Yet for pastors like Mark Smith and others, the commitment to disciple-making and church planting in Dublin is unwavering because of their unshakable hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today I'm excited to have Mark Smith with me on the podcast. Mark is married to Philippa and is the pastor of City Church in Dublin. He also serves as the Acts 29 Ireland lead. Okay, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tony. Great to be here. Man, it is good to see you. I don't, where, I don't know what event we met at. It was perhaps an event in Europe, Belgrade? I maybe? think it was, was it Belgrade? Uh, was it Serbia a couple of years ago? Uh, I think we were, we were hanging out for a little while with some of the other Celtic brothers. Yeah. Speaking of Celtic brothers, I'm, I'm interviewing Di Hanke uh, uh, coming up soon. Oh, you know that nice. brother, right? Yeah, I do. Uh, we, uh, we serve his uh, coffee over here in, uh, in City Church, in fact. Cool. I'm going to be talking about his coffee, among other things. Um, yeah. And you are uh, south of Lucas Parks, an elder who's over in Ireland, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we're, I'm about two hours south of them. Uh, so in Dublin, but so Dublin co- is the capital of the Republic of Ireland, and then Belfast is the capital of Northern Ireland. And believe mm-hmm. it or not, they're two different countries. Yeah. That is wild, isn't it? Yeah. Can you, ex- so can you explain the geography to get their head a little bit? It. Yeah. Can you explain the geography of the UK to me? Ah, uh, here. Well, so the the United Kingdom is the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and Great Britain is England, Scotland, Wales. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so it's the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. So that's all that's all Queen territory. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got the other 26 counties of the Republic of Ireland, and that's us. And the 26 counties uh, that make up the Republic of Ireland uh, became a, uh, a state in their own right nearly 100 years ago, so uh, in the early 1920s, uh, after our kind of uh, war of independence. Um, and part of the, the treaty that was ratified here in Ireland, uh, it gave up uh, the six counties that then would become Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. uh, and that is that's actually what a lot of the conflict has been over, uh, because there was people, uh, and still would be some people who who would say things like Ireland half free would never be free, and so we're fighting for a uh, a united Ireland. It was a very mm-hmm. controversial thing. So you, you had you had guys going from fighting uh, alongside one another uh, against the British. Uh, which all of you Americans will be saying yes and amen to. <laughs> um, no taxation without representation, hey? Uh, don't, don't tread on me. 
yeah, <laughs> going from fighting alongside against the British to actually fighting against one another in the Irish Civil War, because the Irish Civil War was was a long uh, pro-treaty, anti-treaty lines. So were you for that treaty that gave up the North? And people saw that as a stepping stone towards Irish unity. Or were you against it and said, no, no, no we, we cannot we cannot take this concession. Uh, and so Northern Ireland was was formed. We declared ourselves to be a republic in 1949, um, around about the same time as Israel did. And we've been uh, our own independent uh, republic ever since then. Wow. So, so you tried to avoid um, Lucas Parks and those up in Belfast, right? Uh, as, as much as possible. Uh, <laughs> I actually grew up nearly, uh, very close to um, uh, to where Lucas and, and Andrew and those brothers are. I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a mongrel. I was born in the Republic, and all my all my family have you know the quintessential kind of Irish Lucky Charmsy accent, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, and I don't. I have a more northern, much like elder accent yeah. because my my parents divorced when i was small my dad is a catholic my mom is a protestant and that was you know back when you just didn't do that like you just didn't have a uh, a quote-unquote mixed marriage that w- that was our equivalent of a mixed marriage you know um and uh but they divorced when i was small and so i actually grew up in northern ireland so i kind of grew up with with a foot both sides of the border because all my family and cousins and aunts and uncles were down here uh but mom and i were up there so tell us about how you, what is your spiritual journey then? You, um, given us a little bit about your backstory there, but how'd you come to faith? How did you um, yeah, just uh, find yourself now in ministry in Dublin? Yeah, well, that, uh, that, um, that move back when I was three years old, I guess, was a, uh, was a providential one because we moved to a town uh, called Carrickfergus, which is just outside of Belfast. And uh, it, it is like Bible Belt town. You know, there's a church on every corner. Yeah, I think it's a population of around about 35,000 people. And I think there's at least 30, uh, I think at last count, kind of 37 Bible teaching churches for that population. And so lots of lots of Christians, but lots of church going people, kind of nominally Christian. And uh, I didn't grow up going to church when I was a teenager. I was invited along to uh, what I thought would be a youth group, um, and so just thought I'd go and hang out with friends and um, uh, shoot the breeze. But it turned out to be a straight up and down Bible study. It was <laughs> it was this guy who uh, was teaching us through the Book of Romans. These 13, 14 year olds, and uh, my my buddy who had brought me at the end of that night said, "Do you want to go back?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" I kept going longer than he did he was like man this is boring i'm not going to go anymore and i was like no, no i want to see want to see how this thing <laughs> un- unpacks um i don't remember a uh, a moment i didn't have a kind of uh you know by my bedside moment but i know that over the course of uh that year uh studying the book of romans the lord changed my heart and i remember i remember the night when we looked at uh romans 5 8 and 9 that god demonstrates his love for us in this that while we were still sinners christ jesus died for us um, I remember that just kind of just really apprehending me. Uh, whether that was the the point or not, I don't know. Uh, mm. But I know that by the end of that that academic year, that calendar year, I was a as a different person. I was in mm. a I was in a that was in a uh, Presbyterian church. I was about fourteen years old. Uh, kept going to that Presbyterian church for uh, uh, for a little while, and uh, then 
it's a long story, but I, I became, I'm an accidental Anglican. I ended up across the road uh, at this um, evangelical Anglican church, you know, loving Jesus, teaching the Bible, which is not the first thing that comes to your mind, sadly, when you think of Anglicanism. Um, but that was my first real exposure to to expository Bible ministry. And I was about 18, and that just started a huge spiritual growth spurt for me. I said, this is amazing. Uh, it gave me a new... Uh, and your appreciation for for the scriptures and love for the for the Lord Jesus and uh, you know, some of the the ministry staff there were saying you, know, you should consider um, uh, possibly going into ministry and I was kind of because my family weren't Christians so my my mom met my my stepdad uh, when I was about eight years old and they're very supportive like they're not against it but it's not something that they immediately comprehend you know um, and so I thought no no I'll go off and be a be a teacher and go and be a, a biology teacher. And that's what I started to train to do. Uh, but what the Lord did there is the Lord took something that was really, um, something that I really enjoyed and something that that was really sweet and he made it really bitter. And I, I think looking back, it's because he was disciplining me. He was showing me that I was actually being disobedient to his call on my life. Um, and I remember, you know, looking at my mother and I was like, 21 years old i said like, i cannot do this anymore like, i've got like i've got a dropout and uh, the the voices were raised more than more than that um and her kind of saying you know well what are you going to do with your life and i said i'm going to be i'm going to be a minister i'm going to be i'm going to be a pastor and the first words out of her mouth after it's but it was basically like coming out as a christian do you know um the first words out of her mouth was so so it's not a phase I said, no, this isn't, this is not a phase. I think this is what I've got to do. And like, that was a, that was a hard road. Like I, uh, I ended up just going and working a job for a little while. Um, worked in it, worked in a bakery, which stands to reason because I've got a body like the Pillsbury Doughboy. So, uh, <laughs> so that worked out well. And uh, eventually interned with another uh, Anglican church uh, quite near where, where Village is now in Belfast, in East Belfast. Uh, and from there, went to seminary at Oak Hill uh, Theological College in London. Uh, met my wife there. Uh, so, Philippa, uh, we've been married uh, since 2014. She was on the youth and children's uh, track. And uh, we got married after college. We didn't do the whole kind of bridal college thing. Like We, we focused on our studies and got married afterwards. And, uh, yeah, she, she went on a family vacation to Ireland when she was 17 and hated it thought that it was backward and that the people were just funny and taught funny and didn't like it at all, swore she'd never be back. So the Lord really does have a sense of humor. And we've got two lovely little Irish children as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. So tell us about your church plant. Uh, we started City Church. Uh, we launched morning services five years ago last Sunday. Uh, we just had our, our fifth birthday uh, as, a, as a church. We were meeting as a as a launch team for about a, a year before that, we're a plant of a uh, of another church in the city called Emmanuel Emmanuel Church Dublin, and uh, they they brought me on straight out of seminary, and uh, with a view to to leading a church plant, uh, and so about a dozen of us uh, left to be the launch team uh, of what would become City Church, and. Over the course of about a year, uh, we we grew to our launch size, which is around about uh, 20, 25 people. 
just before Christmas. Just before Christmas is a terrible time to launch a church. Don't ever do that. Um, especially because of one of the things that I'll probably talk about later. It's just Christmas is one of the times when people transi- transition out of the city. So like a month after we launched, we lost like six people of our core team because they're like, yeah, no, our contract's up and or, you know, the, my course is finished up. Uh, so the, the Lord was the Lord was very kind uh, in uh, in sustaining us through that. Um, yeah, so f- five years ago and uh, we currently we've just gone to two services. We've got about 100 people or so over two services because the room that we're in is quite small. Uh, it's a pretty small uh, sports uh, hall in the city center. It's it's all that we can afford in mm-hmm. the city. Like Dublin, uh, Dublin in terms of real estate is kind of second only to to London in the British Isles. So we'd be uh, we'd be expecting to pay uh, kind of 80 80k a year in rent, which would just explode our budget. So while we uh, while we search for for a place, we're currently at two services as of uh, as of September this year. Mm. So 100 people in Dublin, that's a good-sized church, right, given the spiritual climate there? Yeah. Um, we uh, we hovered um, in years kind of uh, in years kind of two to uh, two to three and a half. We hovered around uh, 40 people for a long, long time. Um, and I honestly thought that that would kind of be kind of be our lot and we're kind of reasonably content with that. Uh, yeah, the the largest longest established conservative evangelical church in Dublin is about 250 people. Uh, and they've, they've been going for like a hundred years, mm. uh, large, large Baptist church. So yeah, uh, to, to get a hundred people in Dublin is, uh, um, five years in, in five years is, uh, is a work of the Lord and exhausting. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, man. So it must be your electrifying preaching. What, what is it that's led to the uh, the, the the increase in numbers? Obviously, well, that's you absolutely, mentioned the, that's the, a, the primary reason. Yeah, that's absolutely it. And the uh, and the single origin <laughs> coffee that Di sends over. Uh, <laughs> what is it? Um, well, I mean, in part, it's the it's the old adage of uh, of new churches attract new people, um, and you know we were. We were coming on the scene uh, right when there was a right when there was a little flurry of church plant activity going on about five years ago, and so I can think of uh, of another church that are, that started around about the same time that again has experienced the uh, the similar sort of uh, similar sort of growth. We we don't try to do uh, we certainly don't do events based like we're not an attractional model at all. That's just that's that's not that's not who I am. I'm not the I'm not the best preacher in the city. We don't have the coolest band in the city. Uh, we, but what we try to do, we try to do well, and that tends to be doing life with one another and being intentional with our discipleship. I work hard at uh, at, at preaching, and I want to make that really accessible to to people. Uh, there's little little things that people comment on. We do we do Q and A's most every Sunday, um, which is just huge for um, so for Irish post Catholic people. Um, because in a Catholic context, you don't question the priest. Uh, you don't ask why, you just accept it. And the priest doesn't open himself up for questions. And the number of people who have come up to me afterwards and be like, I've never been in the church where 
where the pastors invited questions. Hmm. Um, and like sometimes I don't like I literally I don't know the answer. Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna have to so go do away. So you do it? Oh, I'm sorry to stop you. Do you do it at, right after the sermon? I do. So yeah, I'll do it immediately after the sermon. I'll give people I'll give people a heads up. We're still trying to work out what that looks like in two services. Right now, I'm doing it mostly after the after our second service, not our first, just because it, that crossover window is very tight. Um, but after the second service, can I say, look, we're going to open this up to questions at the end. Um, so probably what will happen is that um, more people who want to kind of engage with the questions might I uh, might actually go to that second service uh, for the moment. But yeah, I give them a the heads up before we do the Lord's Supper. Uh, I say any questions on that just immediately after we pray, take three or four of them, and uh, then there may be more afterwards. But like I say, it's a it's such a low-hanging fruit way of saying we're, we're different to uh, to the kind of religious system that you uh, grew up with or assumed mm-hmm. was true. Hmm. So do you normally get three to four? Do hands go up immediately, or are there some weeks nobody has questions? Yeah, this last Sunday, nobody had questions. The, the sermon was clearly excellent and just uh, cleared up all of the issues. Uh, and so last Sunday there was there there was no questions. I mean, not yeah. Normally, uh, yeah. Normally you've got you've got three or four. I think on on mm-hmm. average. Um, I mean, we did we were in our Advent uh, series right now, but we just did uh, the the first eleven chapters of Genesis, and we were hitting things like like gender and all of those. Issues. And there was there's like loads of hands. Um, <laughs> and it's always interesting when a, when a brand new person asks a question, like, wow, you really, like, you're courageous to come in here for the first time. I don't know who, what your name is. Uh, and for to stick up, you know, to stick up your hand and ask a question. Um, yeah, I, it keeps me, it keeps me sharp. Uh, it helps me to, it's kind of demographic research as well. It helps me know, like, what are the actual questions in people's minds? Hmm. Um, and yeah, I like it. I kind of thrive off that. How has it impacted um, kind of the core of your church um, in hearing you answer these questions? I'm sure that indirectly equips them to do the same, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the uh, the core of our church has always like they've always been a very um, like eager to learn group. I mean, we started. I mean, City Church was started with um, a bunch of students and young professionals, and you know, that's kind of who we are um you know dublin dublin has two things right now it has uh universities and it has tech companies um so amazon ebay google dropbox microsoft they all have their european hub because uh, the lower rate in corporation tax facebook as well and then there's a hundred thousand students come into the city of an academic year and so we've been you know, we were reaching those those spiritually hungry, skeptical, questioning people, and they want to they want to learn. And so it was, re- it was really kind of taking you know, the questions the questions that I was being asked anyway in like midweek Bible study or community group or whatever around around the dinner table or at a church weekend away and saying, okay, well let's open this up to the to the mixed multitude on a Sunday morning, so that you've got those overhears that don't quite have the courage to ask a question. But it's their question that's being answered, you know. It's hmm, good. So, of of the things people mention about your church, you've got this in, uh, atmosphere, this culture in which people can ask questions and, um, um, you know, hear answers that show them respect and are hopefully well reasoned answers, uh, and so on. What would be? The, would there be other things that people comment on? Uh, perhaps kind of the 
during the course of the week uh, type of ministry, uh, hospitality. Um, how, how have you seen lives changed um, through, through other avenues of ministry? Um, yeah, so we, we meet throughout the week in, uh, in different locations all throughout the city uh, for our, we just call them community groups, they're MCs. Um, and uh, for, many, for many people, they haven't experienced a, a model like that, that is, uh, that it's more, it's more intentional. We don't do it perfectly. Like we're not, uh, we're not total Soma fanboys. We, we could improve on lots of things. Um, but one of the one of the repeated uh, feedback, especially when people when people are leaving, because um, people people leave every year, um, one of the repeated comments is uh, is feeling just a, a real sense of community, a sense of family uh, mm-hmm. that perhaps they haven't uh, experienced before. And in part, that's our size. Um, you know, when you've got a when you've got a church of um, you know, 50, 60, 70 now 100 people um but even because it's two services they actually the two services actually feel small um and our our introverts at city church love that they love that we were going back to two smaller services um <laughs> one girl literally came up to me and like i'm so excited to go to two smaller services because i just get so overwhelmed about talking to people that i end up don't, not talking to anybody um but uh yeah the so we come back to actually answering your question um you when we meet midweek uh we do different things on different uh on different weeks so we will do some study weeks which are immediately off the back of the sermon so it'll be study week um but then we'll do uh you know guys prayer ladies prayer so we'll uh the guys will meet together and uh the ladies will meet together they'll go for dessert or something uh and pray for one another uh then we'll have another study week and then we'll have uh, then we have family dinner, uh, where we're all we're all together, eating with one another, um, and we're very we st- with students. If you called it a social night, they wouldn't come because they see the Bible study has value. Um, social night doesn't. They could be studying. Um, so we say no, no, no. It's not social night. It's family dinner. Uh, we are family together while you are here. That's good. Um, and so that encourages them to. Mm-hmm. To come along, and then on the on the fifth week we have a, a whole church uh, kind of members meeting, prayer gathering. Hmm. That's good. I love it, man. I love your commitment to um, exposition and the culture you're creating and the community you're emphasizing. Um, one of the questions I love to ask church planters and really anybody in ministry is what what are some of the discouragements or low points that you've experienced along the way, and what did the Lord use to kind of get you through? Um, that moment, perhaps you've had none, perhaps you've um, uh, been, been above discouragement in uh, five years. Um, there's two things coming. There's, there's I talk about a perennial discouragement and then a, a particular season. Uh, the perennial discouragement is, um, is the, is the transition. Um, you know, those, those initial years where, it really felt like you were pastoring Doctor Who. You know, he's just regenerating into a completely new beast every 12 months. You know, you're losing kind of 40%, uh, if not more, of the people who are at your church. And and it comes in a, it comes in a season, season around about kind of May through to the end of June, where when we were small, we would we would say goodbye to and pray for people publicly every Sunday. 
and that was that just emotionally just wrecked me and then the kind of, and and the core team who were kind of staying and what's really hard is to actually pick yourself back up in september uh to have the emotional energy to to with gusto kind of welcome people again and and embrace them and to put yourself out there um knowing that they'll say goodbye again so i think one of the real mistakes that that i made um uh, again kind of around about year kind of two to three um especially in year three i think it just got too hard that i actually started to like just emotionally kind of go into like a safe space uh and kind of shut down a little bit so these people were uh you know people would come up to me with like tears in their eyes kind of saying this is my last sunday and th- you know thank you so much and i'm just there just you're totally deadpan um i was like no i should like i should be weeping with those who wait i should be feeling more and actually one of the things that really helped me uh was bill rydell's uh article that he wrote called hugging the parade uh and just kind of making our our peace with that and uh and enjoying that and seeing god use that like we've we've seen you know the lord take people uh you know back home to their home countries i mean dublin has forty thousand brazilians that's a weird fact about dublin uh we're the number one city for brazilians to come and learn english um, I just love the idea of folks walking around the, the streets of Rio and Sao Paulo in thick Dublin accents. Um, but that's what, and yeah, I read, I read with one guy, um, God's Big Picture, that Von Roberts book, the kind of Bible overview. And he was so blown away by that, went back to, to his senior pastor and, uh, and they worked on translating it into Portuguese together uh, so they could use it as a, as a resource. And I, Praise the Lord for that. So that's always, that's a perennial discouragement. I got to kind of see, you know, the good that the Lord is bringing through that. The most difficult season for us in ministry uh, was, uh, was when it was when a staff member walked away from us. That's always going to be tough. Um, When, when a staffing relationship begins to, uh, and a friendship, you know, begins to, to fray a little bit and, Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the one of the things that really helped me in that uh, was um, was actually my X29 coach. Um, my X29 coach was uh, was Jonathan Dodson. Um, amazingly, um, just because we had a, a prior a prior relationship. So when I came into the network, he said, "Well, I'll coach you." And I remember him kind of kind of pastoring me through that season. And one of the things he said was. They're just walking away from you. They're not walking away from Jesus. Hmm. And that, just again, just apprehending me and thinking, okay, it's only me that they're walking. Like, let's keep this in perspective. Um, That's good. You know, we didn't we didn't see eye to eye. Stuff didn't work out. No, since then we've been able to uh, to meet up and reconcile and forgive and be forgiven but just to be reminded they're not walking away from jesus they're just walking away from you and it's so easy like i i'm sure i'm not the the only guy that can kind of fall into you know jesus loves you but i've got a wonderful plan for your life uh sort of mentality Hmm. and just being um just gently rebuked in that way um i think was really was really important for me in those early years of uh of planting those relational wounds, man, uh, the perennial uh, challenge you face, uh, we face that as well, yeah. um, the parade, um, and, yeah, people leaving. You would think after a long season of ministry, those things 
fail to uh, affect you, you know, <laughs> but, um, the relational wounds for me too, those, those are the most, um, challenging, discouraging, um, those are the low points. Um, and we, I can recount many of those, uh, with you, um, the similar situations you talked I about. Remember, sorry, I was just going to, just on that. I just remember being at a, at a large church plant in Belfast that was just, just blowing up. Like they were just, they were killing it. And, um, they were about kind of 10, 12 years in. And I remember talking, kind of talking to my friend who had brought me in and just saying, this is, yeah, this is amazing. Like, I don't think we'd started, like we hadn't started yet. I think I was still in seminary actually. I'd say, this is amazing. Uh, like this is, this is, this is what I want, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and my buddy pointing to the lead pastor, uh, who was kind of counseling somebody up at the front and said, yeah, but you should see, you should see his back. Mm. You should see the scars that are on his back mm. that have got him to this point. Mm. Um, and again, that was, that was just, so, yeah. There are yes. scars that we all bear, but we we do it because we well we do it because Jesus is worthy of it. Amen, amen. When we go to His wounds, right? Um, yeah. As we endure ours, um, that, that's good, man. Um, you mentioned Acts twenty nine. Uh, some you mentioned Bill Rydell mentioned a coach. You also now are the new Ireland lead, right? Can you tell us about that? What what's going on in Ireland with eighty nine? Yeah, they're clearly insane. Uh, they asked me to to take over from from Lucas uh, as he uh, moves up to you know yet to be announced things. So that's your exclusive. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was uh, I was thrilled to be uh, to be asked. Um, in terms of in terms of Acts Twenty Nine Ireland, we don't we don't make a political distinction between North and South. So we're a we're a whole island uh, body. Uh, so there's the there's the four of us right now. There's uh, myself and Lucas, and then Andrew uh, Elder, who was sent out from Lucas, and then John Irvine in Rathfry Island. And John's yeah, John. uh, John's really uh, going uh, uh, going hard and fast over the rural collective uh, mm-hmm. stuff, which is so important for us. I mean, the evangelization of Ireland is going to be church planting in rural areas, and so that's just going to be absolutely key. You know, there are there are 102 towns. In the Republic of Ireland, so this is excluding Northern Ireland, but there are 102 towns in the Republic of Ireland of a population of 5,000 or more that have no evangelical witness. Or to put that in Acts 29 speech, uh, where Jesus is neither named nor known, 102 towns. Mm -hmm. And so Acts 29 Ireland is uh, is collaborating with with other with other networks here on the island. like Baptist Missions and the Calvary Network, which is a little church planting network out in the west of Ireland, to see those 102 uh, towns uh, reached for the gospel. Uh, we, we have an assessment conference coming up in uh, in January, and uh, by God's grace, we've got an Irish guy going through assessment who's currently planting out near Galway, uh, again in the west of Ireland. Uh, and so we're thrilled. Like my... Uh, my prayerful hope uh, under God is that uh, in the next 12 to 18 months, uh, we will uh, will double our membership. Hmm. Um, now, it's only from going from 48, but, you know, that would be really good. You know, we hmm. had our uh, we had our, our kind of Christmas lunch with the four of us last week. And one of the things that I was saying, you know, may we need a better ta- a bigger table this time next year. 
Hmm. Uh, we have a guy currently in the application process here in Dublin who's uh, seeking to plant a Farsi-speaking congregation because uh, we have loads of Iranian Muslims uh, who come to come to Ireland seeking asylum. He himself was a uh, uh, was a he uh, became a Christian in Iran and had to had to flee and planted a church in Belfast. I've, I, he knows that I can talk about this. He planted a church in Belfast and uh, is is now seeking to hand that off to Indigenous leadership and seeking to do the same in, in Dublin. And so we think that Acts 29, especially with some of the emerging regions contacts, can can really help a, a brother like that. And how amazing that Acts 29 Ireland would help start a Farsi-speaking congregation. Hmm. It's amazing, dude. It's great work, man. You've got a lot of um, a lot of exciting things happening, a lot of challenging things. You also told me before we started that you're moving today. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. We moved the the date of recording this because I thought in the uh, around the win- window of the original date that we'd be moving house, but with all the toing and froing, we're actually moving today. So I'm going from from here to go and pick up keys and um, you know sign on the dotted line with lawyers <laughs> and things like that. So uh, yeah, typical really. And you, you've got your X29 raincoat on. Is that what you guys wear in Ireland? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you, you guys get uh, get lovely hoodies. We get we get rain jackets, and actually, you need it today. Uh, <laughs> so if any if anybody wants a, a an A29 bomber, you know, just hit me up. Hey, if listeners are intrigued about your work in Ireland, what would you tell them? Uh, send checks where? Uh, uh, come visit. <laughs> uh, anything you'd like to, to to make an impassioned plea before we sign off. Oh yeah, I mean, there's you know three three things. Um, we're getting we're getting ready to send out um, our first uh, church plant. So we brought on our first resident just uh, there in September past. He and his wife just had a baby, their first baby, uh, last week, and we were prayerfully seeking to to send out a launch team from us in the next 18 months or so. You can you can subscribe to that prayer letter on our uh, on our website at citychurchdublin.ie forward slash plant um, and read up about uh, Duncan and Becky. Uh, Duncan's originally from Ireland, which is just a huge deal for us because getting indigenous uh, gospel workers is uh, uh, is a real chore. There there isn't the the kind of the gospel pipeline for raising up uh uh, guys within the the island, we've been, we were we have been very missionary reliant, and that's fine. The Lord has done great things through it, but it's just great to have uh, an Irish guy. So you can be praying for that uh, if you wanted to support that. If you wanted to co- uh, come and visit us uh, and see what's going on, um, so it'd be through those three things: pray, give, go. Um, come and see Ireland. Uh, you know, we work with a. Uh, we partner with a with a company that offers uh, faith based travel, so you don't even need to pretend that it's a missions trip. Just come over on a uh, on a vacation, be better informed how to pray for our land, learn a little bit more about the history. I could have waxed lyrical uh, about all of the history uh, of uh, of our beautiful country, and so I'd encourage you if you haven't taken that uh, that trip back, especially if it's a trip to the homeland. You know, my grandmother was a was a no flowery or whatever. Uh, now is the time to come and see what God is doing in Ireland. Super. Mark Smith, City Church, Dublin. Thanks for being on the podcast, brother. It's an absolute pleasure, Tony. Thank you.